Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America this time, but it is our friends in Nigeria that we'll be speaking with this time, and I'm super excited about having them on. You guys might remember Thane from a podcast that we've done before. Uh, He's a dear, dear brother. I've been working with him for several years. I, I am so incredibly grateful to have friends like him in my life because when it comes to things that have to do, especially with with our hackers conference that many of you are familiar that I bring up every year right before we have that hackers conference. Uh, Thane is one of the number one people that is a part of that group that helps us do phenomenal things in closed countries to get the gospel into the hands of those that are restricted. And our hackers group is a great, great group. And Thane is one of the hackers. Thane, are you there, brother? Can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Nigeria. Thank you so much for being with us again on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. It's always great to to hang out with you and to hear it, your perspective, especially because of where you're at right now. You are in Nigeria, right? Yeah, I'm in Abuja, and uh, with me is Langdong Tungchama. We're here together in the capital city. Langdong, it's also great to have you. It's not often that we have two guests on the podcast at the very same time, but uh, you are so very welcome. We're excited to have you with us as well. Yeah, thank you, Eugene. I'm excited to be here. Let's talk <laughs> to you again. Yeah, it was great to meet you at the Hackers Conference. You were at the Hackers Conference, and uh, we were able to connect and discuss like some of the things that are taking place in Nigeria, and it was so refreshing to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh Thane, just for our audience, could you give a, a little bit of a background of you in London? If you could just give a little of a background about yourself as well, so that the audience is familiar with you as, as we share together. Sure. Um, I am, uh, let's see, I'm a follower of Jesus, first and foremost, uh, husband, father of six, and, uh, and I'm a computer programmer as a profession. Um, and I am, I'm constantly desiring to grow in my walk with the Lord, constantly desiring to be of use for him because I realize that my days are limited and I want to make the most, the maximum impact for the kingdom of God and build heavenly treasure. So, oh, I don't know how long has it been since we met? I think it was 2015. In 2014, the Lord really burdened me with um, beginning to pray for my community and ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? I mean, forget my ideas. What are you doing? And show me how I can be a part of it. And part of the answer to that prayer was inviting Brother Yun to come and speak in my town, which he did in March of 2015. And that started a long relationship with Back to Jerusalem that uh, has been just awesome 
to be a part of what God is doing with the largest church, the largest missions movement <laughs> just that, that the world has ever seen through Back to Jerusalem. And I, I so appreciate you and the, the brothers and sisters we get to work with there. Um, and then along the lines of those questions in 2017, just two years later, um, I was uh, on a Facebook discussion group for C.S. Lewis. You know, it's not anything you take serious. You just post memes and like them and share things and whatnot. But then one day I started seeing these, these beautiful posts. They were letters to Uncle Lewis, and they spoke from the heart about Lewis's writings. They were great writings, but what struck me the most was just the kingdom of God insight in these writings. And so I thought, well, who is this person? I need to know this person. And I look him up on Facebook and he's a 20 year old kid. I say that because he's the age of my kids, 20 year old kid from Joss, Nigeria. And it just shattered my expectations. So, and, and, and further piqued my interest. So we, um, we struck up a friendship through Facebook Messenger. Uh, the first question I asked him, because I'm a, a faithful Back to Jerusalem ambassador, is, hey, have you ever read The Heavenly Man? <laughs> and uh, he hadn't, but um, he wanted to. He'd heard of it. So uh, finally he read it. He wrote a beautiful letter, sort of like letters to Uncle Lewis to Brother Yun, which uh, I was able to share with Brother Yun in uh, the following year in California. Anyway, long story short, um, Langdung and his friends started a library in their community. They live in a slum community. It's the, it's the part of town that nobody goes. It's the part of town with the bad reputation. And um, it's the place where they say, surely nothing good can come from Nazareth. Uh, they say that about Genta where these guys are from. So they started the library with the hashtag change the narrative. And they really have. They started a library, very humble, just a room with some books in it. It was the only public library in a city of a million people. It's just insane. You, so you said something that you weren't with our, um, our, our meeting, usually you'll, you'll join like our office meetings that we do for our yeah. offices every Monday. And so we have our, our different offices from around the world. We have the one in Canada and the U.S. and the U.K. and Holland and Brazil. And we all kind of come together and we discuss, you know, the week's agenda and, and just pr very practical things. You know, we don't do anything that spiritual. You know, we don't do the whole, uh, you know, let's pray over this nation and pray over that nation, which is also needed. But I want to just use uh, about 20 minutes of people's time to lay out the agenda in a very pra practical way for you know all of the offices to, to understand what we're doing around the world. Today, one of the things that I, I, I shared, which you were not there, so it's interesting, when you started introducing yourself, you talked about, you know, life being very short and we only have a very small window in order to do things. 
And so I was sharing, I was impacted a little bit by a speech by Gary V this morning. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's kind no. of a, is a business guru. So you're more of a Christian than I am thing. So you would not be familiar with him. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm more familiar with people that are worldly and have bad language. And uh, that's Gary V would fit in that category. But he said something that kind of sparked me on an evolution of different thoughts that very much lines up with you talking about life being short and having a very short window. And I, I thought, what if heaven has a search engine where when I die and I get to heaven and I'm with God, I, I'm able to put in questions like, you know, what if I would have taken this chance? What would have happened? And I could go and explore like all of the things that would have come as a result of me taking that chance. Like instead of watching Netflix today, what would happen if I uh, you know, did street outreach with my church or invited Brother Yun to come and speak in my hometown or started a library in a remote area of Nigeria. What if um, I was, I did this instead of this? What if instead of sleeping in, I went to a soup kitchen? What if instead of going to the movies, I joined a prayer group or started a prayer group? Uh, if heaven does have such a search engine, <laughs> can you imagine what we will look at and see the missed opportunities that we just let go right by us? And I think you saying that is something that is a reminder that I was hit with today, that what if the greatest weapon the enemy has ever used against believers is you have time. Don't worry about it yeah. today. You've got time. Don't worry about it tomorrow. Take it easy. Um, that idea of us having time is probably one of the biggest handicaps that we have because one day we wake up and realize all that time that we thought we had is gone. Yeah. And we can't go back. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> So, um, we're Lung Dong, I have to tell you, when I read your name, I've lived in China for over 20 years. When I read that name, I'm thinking, this brother must be Chinese. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a Chinese name. You know, is this a common name in Nigeria? No, no, no. Even here, it's not common. It's not common. Yeah, it, Maybe it's you funny have, because yeah. when, we, when we go out and we introduce ourselves, I have to explain my name, Thane. Nobody's heard of that before. And Lingdong has to explain his name too. And he's from Nigeria. <laughs> Does it mean anything? Because in Chinese, it would mean the cold east. Oh, brother, you won't believe what it means. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> Tell him. <laughs> it means reasoning too much. Reasoning too much. I love it. Yeah. Could you give a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Okay, yeah. Um, my name is Langdon. I I live here, and I've been involved in in gentry, which began with a simple question, just like ten. We we grew up in circumstances that were a little, I say, a little not very privileged, but we we figured maybe we could still do something for our community, and. We are part of this church group that prays every Monday and Wednesday. So, and we've been praying for a long time. God, how can we be useful for our community? God, I mean, we're the lights of the world. How can we be the lights to our community? And 
figured, well, education is a big problem. And this is something we can do, and it requires absolutely zero budget to start. And you figure it along the way, and we started. And that has been that has been the journey. It has led us from one adventure to the next one, finding ways that so many people are trooping to the community to see how they can be able to help because it has actually been a community for a long time that has a reputation for being a GRA, that's government rejected area. And it's the kind of community where you use as the example for people not to ever go. So, but now I think there's been a lot of improvement, most especially in the minds of the people. They are beginning to think for the first time that maybe they can do something else with their life and maybe life could be more meaningful. Maybe life could be more, more than just booze and smoke and just wantonness. So I'm in the middle of the, I'm in the middle of this group and that's what we do. Well, I have to tell you, we have been praying uh, for the country of Nigeria. This is something that I would love to hear more from you and Thane as well. Uh, there are a couple of things that we would like to discuss, but one of the things that I feel extremely burdened by is the fact that we have seen so much violence against believers in the nation of Nigeria. Um, I'm, I'm, I was looking at the news this morning and I saw that uh, just yesterday or the day before in, a, in Nigeria's Borno state, there were eight Christians, including children, uh, that were killed. Uh, one of them was a two-year-old. Um, he didn't die, but he was wounded by a gunshot, severely wounded. And this two-year-old who's, who's been shot um, is mourning the the visual the visual of watching his mother die in that that attack. So he was killed in his mother's arms. His or I'm sorry, his his mother was killed while he was in her arms, and he also was hit by the gunshot. Thankfully survived, but uh, obviously a lot of trauma there. According to Genocide Watch, and so many Christians don't know this, this is only from five days ago this was posted, um, that uh, according to Genocide Watch, Nigeria is the worst in the world for Christians. It's the worst place in the world for Christians to be for 2021, which is quite sad because just this year, in, or last year in 2021 and this year in 2022, the U.S. State Department has removed uh, Nigeria from the list of religious freedom violators. Um, even though I think last year we saw I, the number is something like um, uh, more than 5,000 Christians in 2021, more than 5,000 Christians were killed, lost their lives um, in the last 15 years, it's been more than uh, 30, uh, 40, or more than 40,000 Christians. And just in the last uh, year, there has <clears throat> been almost 4,000 Christians kidnapped because there's quite a large business, from what I understand, of um, getting money for abducted Christians. Am, am I wrong in that assumption? Am I misreading something? Um, are, are these reports wrong or are they right? And, uh, and this is something that we just haven't been hearing about. What, what say you? Yeah. I don't think they're overrated. I think they're not, they're not, even covering the, they're not giving the full detailed report of what's really going on. I mean, in the past 
employers, everyone who is, everyone knows someone who has been kidnapped. I mean, regularly, every week, there's always someone you know who has been kidnapped on the way to Abuja, where we are currently. There's, I mean, just a few weeks ago, the whole train station was attacked with bombs. And it's a few hours after that, the train, the main station itself, it was the train line that was attacked with bomb. A few hours after that, the main train station was attacked. It tells you the the kind of audacity that the the terrorists have 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 developed over the years. Now, what is what is interesting is that the, the situation you're describing was something I experienced when I was when I was younger. I mean, in 2001, when this crisis began happening in my city, my my community used to be Christian and Muslims, but in 2001, there was this, um, I, I forgot, was it, it was an advertisement that was done for, was it Cowbell or so? And then a few weeks later, there was an election. And then there was this massive violence where people were killed, Muslims, Christians, and this, the community now had to be divided. And the whole city itself was divided into two. I remember being running away from the community and watching someone being caught with knives and someone being killed. And it's one of those images that I I can never forget. Recently, I gave a TED talk and one of the things I told them is I'm part of the generation where whenever we see a burning building, what we remember is the crisis that happened because houses were burned. And this is happening in the capital of the city. This is the middle of the whole town. This is close to the police headquarters. This is close to the military barracks. This is close to the CBN. That's the Central Bank of Nigeria. So all of this happened within the, this, the, this the, axis. Your hometown, uh, your hometown, Langdong, your has about, what would you say, when you were a kid, early 2000s, what was the population of that town? Wow. Can't really give X me maybe ten thousand or so. Mm. Ten thousand, okay. Million. Yeah, this, a million. Yeah, oh, oh, the whole city, the whole city. I yeah, should be more than that, but uh, just Genta itself. Mm. Yeah, that's what I mean, I mean by it's something around ten thousand. Uh, was it a sub, think, was it was it a suburb a suburb of a larger city? Yeah, it's a suburb of a larger city. But it's it's, it's within it's within the boundaries of the main city. You I mean mm -hmm. you you wouldn't be able to to see, oh, there's Genta. It's mm -hmm. if, if you didn't know what you were looking for, it's all right. And so mix. for the entire city, what would be the population? The entire city should be, do you mean then or now? Uh, then. Uh, just it, it, it doesn't have to be precise. The reason I'm asking is because when people hear, you know, you talk about your town or your or your village, those that are not familiar with Nigeria might think that, you know, you, there's like 30 huts with, you know, 50 people. Uh, <laughs> sure, man, sure, man. I mean, it should really be, it should be maybe 700,000. Yeah, so 700,000 to a million, you're talking about almost the, you know, the population of a place like Stockholm or Oslo, you know, more than two, three times the population of Helsinki, Finland. Um, right. And so the reason I want to bring this up is because we're not talking about a small little rural village in the middle of nowhere um, where nobody no. really knows that much about what that violence that you're describing is in the middle of a very huge metropolitan city in Nigeria. Nigeria is one of the more populated nations in the world. 
Uh, many people are saying that Nigeria might become the most populated nation in the world by 2050. And so yeah. even surpassing India, uh, possibly China. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that, you know, you're talking about not just Christians that are being killed, but also Muslims that are being killed. Now, um, part of it is this. The, there is the intense targeted persecution of Christians. And the, the other manifestation is what happened is the, the terrorists have discovered this is a whole business that they can run. So why just attack just Christians when we can be able to make money from this too? So, but the original foundational ideology in their head is actually to go against Christians. That's where all the foundational ideology, that's where it, it emanates from. And then there's the economic side of it. And then that's where they are branching out to kidnap both Muslims and Christians. But there are specific regions, specific places that are targeted for their religions. I mean, just one hour away from from Jos, there's a place called Basa, and there was this attack that happened there, and clearly they, they destroyed the churches, and they wrote on the walls of the churches things like "Jesus will save you," derogatory statements for 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 Christianity, and so those are those are actually intentionally targeted towards Christians, and there are situations whereby they kidnap whole people, bring up, bring them out, and this sort them, are you a Christian? Are you a Muslim? If you're a Christian, do this. Can you recite a passage in the Quran? You can recite it, you're sorted out. I particularly remember this because there's a lady that was kidnapped last year. She was, she's a nurse and re related to Sanford. So she was kidnapped in a whole bus and she was brought out and all the others and they told her what's her name and she mentioned her name, which gave her away. I mean, if you're a Christian here, the names, the names are different. Mohammed, Aisha, those are all Muslim names. Once your name is Esther, Roots, and all of these <laughs> things, you're a Christian. So automatically she mentioned her name and she was sorted out and she was kept there for several days. And it, the, the parents had to pay a big ransom before she was released. But before she was released, there was a young guy who was together with them, who was a Christian, who is a Christian because he's dead now. They brought him out right on the screen, recorded a video of it. He went viral, the, the video went viral for a period and he was shot in the head. And they sent it out with a message for Christians. It became a big issue because Christians stopped go, traveling to those axes. Just a few weeks after that, another reverend, a cooking reverend was kidnapped, Reverend Polycap Zongo. He has been released after a pain of huge ransom. Um, the government is really not able to do anything. So most of the time, after a person is kidnapped, the only option you have is to pay the ransom. So the churches begin to mobilize efforts to raise funds and, and pay the ransom. So there's the targeted intentional attacks towards Christians, but because Nigeria is also a poor country, it's manifesting in other in other forms too. For our yeah, for and, our listeners, this is, this is part of what the Nigerian government is arguing. I I, I guess this is how they were able to get the, the name of Nigeria on the 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 list. What they, the argument they are making to the international community is that this is not a religious crisis. This is not a, something that has to do with religion. Yeah, that's that's but, the heart of what I wanted to get to because that is the international that that is the international argument. So even 
I have, whenever I put up information about Nigeria, I can tell you that I get emails uh, on a regular basis or private messages um, from people that are in the international community. And even from Nigerians, I have gotten information. I've actually been contacted by a government official in Nigeria saying that um, I'm spreading lies. That the, that this is not it has nothing to do with religion. That these attacks are purely tribal and about <laughs> land. That's really that's really funny to say because if you if you think about it, the, remove the the economic incentives, remove the tribal things. Will these people still be? Will there still be killings? And look at it. Who will be killing the most? I mean, who are the people going to be doing the attacks? It's going to be apparent that there's going to be this Islamic group who are going to attack this Christian group. And it's always, it nearly always happens that way. In fact, tribal wars have, have, well, I say they've been almost completely eliminated. But what we are continually seeing up to today is that there are this, this brand, there are this brand of people who are nearly always Fulani in fact, there, I don't know of a terrorist group that attacks the other religion in Nigeria that, um, that, that, that claims to be a Christian organization. There's none. So what we're seeing is they're using this to hide behind so many names, to hide behind so many agendas. And because it is true that these other things are manifesting, it does not take away the fact that this is a targeted religious activity. And the terrorists themselves give themselves away by the acts, by the writings that they have on the walls, the traces they keep, the videos they regularly release, the names that they have, and the way they talk about it even. And this is this is a political year. You hear lots of this. And this is where it's going to become very clear because the, the religion of whoever is going to be involved in the whole thing is going to lead to more statements from all of these people. And what you are saying is one of the best explanations that I have really heard because one one of the things that you've just done is you've said, listen, if that is true, then take away these incentives, take away the land, take away the money. Will the, will that stop the attacks? Um, and and you were able to give, I think, a very strong explanation that the answer to that is no, that this is religiously motivated, and that does put these attacks into the category of genocide uh, because when you attack somebody based on their race, uh, their ethnicity, or their religion, that is considered to be genocide. And we are basically seeing, yes, Muslims are also the victims here. I do not mm -hmm. doubt that at all. I'm not saying that Christians are the only victims uh -huh. here, but I would say that in every nation where mm -hmm. Muslims rule, Muslims are also the victims uh, to their own governments, to their own uh, Muslim governments. Uh, when I look at the rule and I read about the, the reign of Muhammad, when I read about the, the jihad that was launched um, in the very beginning, when I read about the, the conquering from going from Medina to Mecca, I see Muslims, or they weren't Muslims at the time, but I see their own kinsmen you know, being victims. And then every area that they were able to take over, if I go into an area like Iran today, do you know how many Muslims suffer under the reign of the the uh, Ayatollahs? If, if I go into Yemen, if I go into Somalia, if I go into Sudan, mm -hmm. I see Muslims 
good people that suffer under these religious ruling parties. Yeah, I, I, should, I should say this. I mean, there's this small part, this local government in Plateau State. It's a local government within the state. So it has, I don't know, maybe like 500,000 people. This is this is one of the places where one of the earliest, the earliest missionaries who came here, um, Stiret of Sudan, when he came over, he built this base, this um, rest zone for for missionaries. Now, um, to, to, to add to, to, to the structure of Joss, Joss is very old. When I say very old, it's a city that has been in existence for a very long time. So that tells you that they actually have plenty of people and it has structures that many other states, better than many other states. So this, this Basa local government, since this particular government came into power, there has been consistent attack. I mean, every week, this is every week, there's a Facebook page that tracks the attack. The number of people who have been killed every day, the record they, they give. So every week, there's an attack in this place. I tell you this, Eugene, for all of those attacks that happen every week, there has never been a single day that the Fulani who are staying there, who are predominantly Muslims, have reported that their whole village has been burned down. But these guys who are Christians, who are living in this settlement, every week the whole city is burnt down, their churches are burnt down, and people are killed. And the bodies are there. The, the, the unfortunate thing about that page is it records even with the photos of the people who have been killed. So if you if you ask if you if you if you if you look at the situation, those people over there have the same practically the same opportunities, the same thing. But why is it that the attacks are always coming from one group against the other? Yeah. When we were here last October, we came for Ling Dong's wedding. Um, he, uh, my wife and I, and and uh, another couple, we came for the wedding and. We, while we were here, we also had the opportunity to travel around and visit the spin-off libraries from Genta Reads. There were seven spin-off libraries that we got to view. Um, and it was great. You know, we go to a library and there's the whole team and they're excited. They all have a slightly different flavor. So they're, they're talking about their purpose and their mission and how they do things. It's just high energy, exciting time with young people. Um, but this one particular library, we met in Joss, in the city, in an empty room. And I'm thinking, where are the books? What, where's the library? Uh, we're just meeting in a room. Well, just a month earlier, this this library was from a village in Basa State, or Basa, Basa local, local government. Um, and just a month before we were there, their whole village was destroyed and burned down. And the the Muslim militants that went in and did this, they went to the police station in their town and said, we're going to attack, you better flee or, <laughs> or face the consequences. And so the, the police fled and, and the, uh, the town was destroyed. So this team, you know, it was great to visit them. Again, high energy, neat people um, operating in faith. Well, it turned into a time of just praying uh, for for them to be restored to their community, that they can go back and serve the children that were there. Let me let me ask let me ask this. Um, 
when we when I look at the layout and the demographics of Nigeria, and I've shared this before with our audience, that when you look at the north and the eastern part of Nigeria, you kind of have this Muslim belt. But when you move into the populated eastern or I'm sorry, western seaboard part of Nigeria, that's where you get the high density Christian areas. And that's where you get all the money, all the businesses, all the education, all of the the government is actually located there. Um, Why is it? Or, or am I just misunderstanding that it seems from an outside point of view that the, the government has not really taken a strong stance and that the Christians don't feel protected by the military. They don't feel protected by the police. They don't feel protected by the law. Is that a false um, observation or is that just geographically located, meaning that are, do the Christians have more rights in the West and then there's not much that the government can do in the East or the northern part of Nigeria? Is, can, can, you, can you help me try to understand that? You're, you're really not wrong. Everyone agrees, I mean, that the government has clearly not taken a stand enough. And last year, one of the ministers, the top ministers, that's the the minister in government was exposed to be a sympathizer of terrorists. He had promoted terrorist activity before. He's an, he was an imam before becoming a minister. He was exposed to be a minister. I mean, and the government comes out. And you know what the government say? The government said that he said those statements when he was young. We should forgive him and move on. I mean, and of, of course, he's a Muslim. So, but it, it tells you the attitude of the government. And your observation about the East and the, the North is really not wrong. Recently, I went to the East, which was my first time. We had to travel to Cameroon. And I couldn't help but notice the diversity of the level of development between the Eastern part of Nigeria and the Northern part, which is the part I've stayed the most. And the, the part of it is there, there's usually a, where we're in the middle, we call ourselves the middle belt. This middle belt axis are where the there are Christians, a few Christians among the predominantly uh, Muslim population. And the East is more educated than the North. The East has better economic opportunities than the North. The East has um, better schools. It has better institutions. It has, in fact, better governments, and it has better infrastructures than the North. And I live in the North for all my life. So it's, it's, it's like this, this, this thing I'm saying is, is something that I found out just recently, even just by, by traveling there. And the more I think about it, the more I see that the key difference where things began to change was with the arrival of the early missionaries. When they arrived in Nigeria, they dropped in the eastern part. To clarify, we're talking about the southeastern part. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So it isn't. It is more north south than it is east. Where are you guys right now? Wh- which city are you in? In Abuja, which is sort of the middle. Yeah. The okay. Country. So you're smack dab in the middle, and um, in, in the the library was done in Joss. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. That's yes, correct. And, and would Joss be considered to be north? Yeah, it's going to be considered to be north. Okay, because I know that it, I know that it's northeast from where you're at right now. If I'm to look at a map of Nigeria, I can see that Joss is northeast. But it, when you say that you grew up in the north, Joss would be considered the north then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that's why I made that distinction because the place where they went, Calabar, 
before they went to Cameroon is where he's talking about these these greater developments. And this is in the like the s- s- extreme southeastern tip of Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah, and that I mean that that's right at like a port um, before you cross the border into into Cameroon, and that's right. one of the things that we see again it gets highlighted over and over and over again that where you see Christians and Christianity, you mm-hmm. see a flourishing. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that there's a flourishing without challenges. I'm not saying that there's a flourishing without failures. I'm not saying that there's a flourishing without misery and and, and poverty. But there is a completely different flavor in Christian areas and Christian nations as opposed to Muslim areas and Muslim nations. Areas that have a greater influence of Islam are more likely to be harsh for life, mm-hmm. M- misery as a citizen, um, less when you look at the education. And no, this is not popular. What I'm saying is not popular. They would not allow me on BBC or CNN to share this idea that uh, an area that is ruled by Islam is actually by design more ignorant. Um, and that areas that are um, controlled by, or not controlled, but influenced by Christianity. And that's the difference. The difference is not just control. I'm not saying give Christians control. I'm saying that we as a, as Christians have a duty to influence darkness with light, to introduce the, the, when we talk about the joy of the Lord, that joy is not just some comedy show that we laugh at and we feel giddy inside. I'm talking about the joy that comes with blessing your family, blessing your neighbors, blessing businesses. By being a light in your environment, you bring happiness that is on a different level than just mere entertainment for a moment, but you are able to bless people with the idea of righteousness, the idea of fairness, the the idea of, of uh, uh, grace and love and mercy mercy, which you do not have in other religions, but it is particularly absent in Islam. And I'm not saying that Muslims have an absence of these qualities because we're made in the the image of God. I'm saying that the more Islamic influence you have, the darker the region. And as you speak, I just wanted to point that out again for our audience, because as you speak, your words are actually, again, illuminating that fact that I think is so good for our audience to hear that when the, 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 um, uh, Muslims come in and attack Christian villages, it's not because they're evil people. It's because they're being led by a religion of darkness and their hate for Christians is not one that they naturally have. It's one that is given to them by Islam. And it is it is one that is very easy, I think, for a listener, especially for me. Brother, when you talk, I'm thinking, you know what? Let's not raise prayer support. Let's raise a militia. Let's send you money for guns and, <laughs> and, and fight back. Um, but I know that that is the world's way of doing things. The world's way is not God's way. And God's way brings joy and light and life. And it does so through sacrifice. And that is hard. What you've been living in, what you are describing, uh, where you grew up, your childhood memories of that that village that you talked about, that is hard to listen to. But yet there is somehow, even though we can't see your face, 
Um, I can hear you speak with a smile <laughs> and love. Anybody that's met you would say that you're a joyful person, which is the opposite of what you should be. You should be a victim. You should be a poster child of victimhood to say, look at poor me. I've been attacked over and over again by the Muslims. But nope, you are doing things to benefit other believers. I love it. You're an encouragement, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eugene. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah, like you said, it's Jesus. It's it's the whole whole outlook of life. It's Jesus, and it's the way He He blesses us. Um, it reminds me of a, while we we're in primary school, we we're much younger. We were, we had Muslim friends. They were kids like us. We didn't have all these hates. We didn't have. We didn't, my best friend was a Muslim, but as we grew up, as we became, the more I went to church, the more he went to the mocks. The hate created. The the hate diverged and. He became, it's, it's like he became a threat and it's not me. I had to come to the fact where I had to accept that this person is the threat. It's, it was a very painful thing because I like to see people in a good light. I like to see people as, I like to say, I love this person. I want to be friends with them. I want to associate with them. I want to, my parents warned me several times, but it just became inevitable at some point. And I saw that. Clearly, this one is not going to protect me as much as I'll protect him. And he began to say, Osama bin Laden is his hero. Osama bin Laden is the person he loves. And these are all the things he picked up from, from the system that he was born into, the system that indoctrinated him over time. And the, the situation going on right now, like you said, is putting the church here in a very tough situation. Churches now are now beginning to use Boy Scouts to develop security around their churches so that they can meet like nearly every church including my church have like a security perimeter every sunday where these things are raised so that they can scan through cars scan scan people for the sake of their own security but more and more it's becoming clear that maybe people have to begin to have some form of private security it's, it's just a tough question it's it's no one has figured an answer yet that will work yeah, I, I think that you bring up something, you know, very interesting, which is I would rather if, if I were if if I were to try to be uh, non-biased here, which I know that I am and I know that it influences everything that I say and how I think and 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 even actually what I do in life. But if I were to try to take the most non-biased point of view as possible, I would rather be if I'm going to be a Muslim anyway. I would much rather be a Muslim in a Christian area than a Muslim in a Muslim area. Exactly. I, 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 it, for, for me, I have the free – if you're going to choose Islam, then so be it. That's been your choice. God didn't mm -hmm. force you to choose him, so who am I to force you to choose him? So if in your search – in, in, in your desire to find truth, you find Allah and you find the Quran as comfort, then – in Christian environments, you have that. I just wrote a book um, called Shackled with an amazing lady from Sudan. And um, during the time that she was in prison, they decided that the, the prison guards decided one of the ways that they were going to try to influence her was to bring in a, a former Christian pastor from Ethiopia who had accepted Islam. 
And so they brought her into the prison to sit down with Miriam. That's her name, Miriam Ibrahim. Sit down with Miriam. And they couldn't convince her to become a Muslim by beating her or torturing her or threatening her children or putting her in prison or sentencing her to death. So what they did was they tried another tactic. The the stick wasn't working. Maybe a carrot would work. So they brought in this pastor who had converted to Islam. And so he sat down and he said, you know, Miriam, Islam is a religion of peace, love, mercy. <laughs> and so all you have to do is accept Islam and you won't have to be in this prison anymore, which already he didn't hear the irony in his own voice. But she then asked him, she said, you used to be a Christian, right? He said, yes. And she said, you made the decision on your own to accept Islam, right? And he said, Mm -hmm. yes. And then she asked him, after you accepted Islam, did you feel threatened by your family? Did they chase you down? Did they try to uh, kill you? Did Mm -hmm. did, Did the government of Ethiopia put you in prison? And he goes, his answer was no, because Christians know the truth. That Islam is the truth, so therefore they had to let me go. Uh, That idea idea was beyond him, but it is one of the factors that we have to deal with on a regular basis that it is for exactly the same reason that as a Christian, you had a good friend that was a Muslim. And I, I would encourage so many Christians to reach out and make friends with their Muslim neighbors, to make friends with families, Muslim families that are around them too. I mean, that's what we try to do in our humanitarian aid work, right? When we go into a place like uh, Banda Aceh in Indonesia or Lahore, Pakistan, or to an area like um, uh, uh, Sudan or Somalia or, or wherever, we are providing aid as love. You don't have to convert for us to provide the aid. You can be a Muslim as long as you want to be a Muslim, but we as Christians are called to love and more than Mm -hmm. love, but to serve in that love. And Mm -hmm. I I make friends with Muslims. I'm going to be in the Middle East. I leave for the Middle East tomorrow. Um, And um, uh, I'm going to be meeting with a good friend of mine who is not a Christian. Um, she's a Muslim. She's been a Muslim for as long as I've known her. I've been friends with her for more than a decade. She's actually been helping the Back to Jerusalem projects, and, and she's not aware of Back to Jerusalem at all. But I'm friends with her not because I believe one day she'll come to Christ. That's my hope, but that's not why I'm friends with her. I'm not friends with her as a marketing strategy that I can bring her into the kingdom and have an extra mark on my belt when I stand before Christ. I, I hope I can. I hope I can, but... Even if she never chooses to become a believer, I will Mm. still remain her friend because I believe that is the love that Christ gave to us. That if I chose to never believe in him, I believe that if I was the only person alive and I chose to reject the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, I Mm. personally believe he would have still been crucified for me to have that decision. Mm. 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 Eugene, the most powerful image uh, whenever you talk about this uh, concept of Muslims are drawn to Christian societies uh, for the benefits of it, you did a video maybe five years ago now, and the image is just bold in my mind. You're standing on Mount Sinjar, and in the background behind you are smoke clouds from Mosul, from the battle going on with ISIS, and you said we are facing a huge refugee crisis from the areas behind me that you see. And I have a question. When those 
Muslim refugees are fleeing violence, where do they go? Where do they seek to go? Where do they die uh, on the on the water trying to get to? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it some other Muslim nation? No, it's the it's the the West. It's the Christian influenced nations. And it's so important for people to understand that this is not about race. This is not about this is this is not about nationality. America is not great because it's America. Europe is no. not great because it's it's white Europe. I can take you into Hong Kong, into Singapore, into Australia, into areas that are like I I I, I can take you to uh, Nigeria, where you know you can go to the Muslim area or you can go to the Christian area. I can take you to Lagos or I can take you to Kano. I I can I can take you to Sudan or I can take you to South Africa. Um, the, the influence of the gospel is undeniable except for those that are blinded by the enemy. The enemy uses emotion to blind us. He mm-hmm. it, it takes away our senses. The enemy takes away our... One of the things that I love about the, the book of John as it's written, it's, it's different than the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is this love story. It's the poetic version of the gospel. It's the gospel like Mark, um, Matthew and Luke, but or, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's, it's, it's done in such a powerful uh, way. That's almost like a, 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 a person writing a love letter. And so when I, when I get to John and I read the book of John, or I read the writings of John, the disciple that you know claimed the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, thank you, John. I'm glad that you like to lead to the fact that you know you were the one that Jesus loved <laughs> in your own writings. But um, yes. when he starts off and says, "In the beginning was Logos," and the and Logos was with God, and Logos was God. This idea of Logos, the word, is also where we get the root word for logic. And I believe that everything, the more I learn about God, the more I learn about the Bible, there are so many things that are I feel are illogical, but they become more logical. They seem to be illogical at first because of my sinful nature, because of my sinful influence, because of the influence of the world. But the more I, be, I, I grow closer to God, the more I feel my logic actually is strengthened. And the more I'm away from that logos, the more I push him away, the more I deny him, the more I persecute those that follow him, the less logos I have, the less logic I have. Mm-hmm. And so I am more emotional driven. I am more self-driven and less logical. And and we see this, and I'm not just talking about you know Muslim worlds. I, we see this in communism. We see this in, in socialism. We see this in atheism. We see this in Hinduism. We see this in Buddhism, where even today the most logical ideas to man are being thrown under the bus, where people live in Christian nations, but they throw away logic. And they'll say things like, yeah, the ideas of male and female are social constructs. Um, the, (laughs) the, the most illogical arguments are adopted by the blinding of the enemy. So why do I say that? Because it is so important that when we, we think of the herdsmen, the the Islamist in Nigeria, they're killing Christians. It's important to understand that they have lost logic. They have, they, they are, they have pushed and are persecuting those that follow logos. And it is our job as Christ, 
uh, representatives for Christ to bring in that light that only he can give. So that's what you guys are doing. I know that we've talked for a while now. Um, I would love for you guys just to share a little bit about what you're doing now. What projects are you working on now? How are you bringing the light now into the, the darker regions of Nigeria? Before we answer that, uh, I just want to speak to what you just said. Um, you know what Boko Haram means, don't you? Uh, I don't. I, I mean, we know that this is the, the word that keeps coming up, you know, for they became famous or infamous, I should say, uh, for kidnapping the young girls uh, from the girls' school. They've become very uh, infamous for raiding and burning down villages. But I've, I I don't remember. I know that I've read it somewhere, but I uh, right now I don't remember the, the meaning of the name. It actually says that Western education is a crime. <laughs> what is Western yeah. education? And the, the, the thing is, yeah, using Western education is a crime because they, they, they associate, there's a, there's a cultural perception here that Christianity is a Western thing. So it's like, they're saying Western education is a crime. I know one of the things I, I like to say is, oh, they're telling us Western education is a crime with the Kalashnikov in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a, that, that is something that most people don't get right away. They they, they may not understand what you yeah, just I said. Mean, you want to tell me Western education is a crime? I mean, use, use the thing that was invented by the African culture, man. I mean, if that's what you want to say. <laughs> but the point thing was trying to pass across is, is how all of that is connected to, it's the ideology that drives the whole thing. It's, it's a whole ideology that fuses that one. Yeah, and it's Boko Haram, of course, is the most famous Nigerian terrorist organization. Um, but their very name illustrates just what you're saying, that they cannot embrace logic or learning or education, because if they did so, they would be educated and logic out of their <laughs> out of their ideology um it's it's ironic mm. so to answer your question um we we've been working with these guys and i say we me and my family my kids um with the genta reads library now for five years and um a lot of what we do just inevitably centers around stories it, it centers around the, the testimonies of, uh, of believers. A lot of the, the discussions that we've had with young people, young Christians, uh, maybe cultural Christians in Nigeria, they've grown up, they've heard what Jesus has to say, but, but what he says is just hard or abstract or, you know, what do you mean? Don't be anxious for what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear. That's illogical. How can that work? Who's ever done that? Uh, so we end up telling stories, testimonies from uh, our own lives or from famous people like Brother Yun or Corey Tenboom, uh, Brother Andrew, just great stories that illustrate that, yes, the teachings of Jesus are relevant and you can stand on them uh, because you can stand on the rock, God himself. So uh, during the pandemic, um, we were all locked down, even in Nigeria, they were locked down, which was a, just a ridiculous hardship. Um, how do you lock down when you 
uh, don't have refrigeration, you don't have water, you have to get those things every day. How do you stay home and survive? Anyway, that's a tangent. But um, we, Ling Dung here has a degree in computer science and his, his uh, area of interest in computer science is data science. He just loves processing mass amounts of data and trying to understand a bigger story from it. Um, so we, what we did is we scanned missionary biographies and Christian biographies, Heavenly Man, you know, The Hiding Place by Cord Tendum, et cetera, et cetera. We have 1,200 plus books in our database. And we worked together to develop a data science tool that uh, can take phrases from the scriptures, like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and go through all 1,200 books and find not just that phrase, but find stories or ideas that have similar meaning. Then we go through the results and we have compiled more than a thousand stories now and indexed them by subject. So what we're doing is we're essentially creating a reference book on the web. And this reference book is useful for, you just have, you're reading the scriptures and you think, wow, that is really challenging. Who's ever done that? Well, you go to the website, you look up that scripture, and lo and behold, here's a dozen stories, and they're awesome, you know, from China, from all over the world, from the last 200 plus years. And uh, so we're um, we're here together this week to um, to do some planning, further planning on how we're going to uh, move forward with this project. And yeah, that's the. That's the short story. Awesome. And if people are listening to this podcast right now, how can they support what you guys are doing? How can they best pray for the church in Nigeria? How can they best pray for these mission efforts in Nigeria? Oh, dear. So um, I need to tell you a story. This is all about stories, right? Uh, The young man that has done the most story research for us is a man named Peter. He is, he is such a delightful and very uh, thoughtful person, meticulous. So he's great for this work. He went, he's a university student, he's studying agriculture. And he went and um, he went to the school and there was an attack at the school. Um, It was a Fulani attack. Many students were killed on the campus. There was uh, just pandemonium and he was was spared from it, thankfully, but um, he, um, he said that he was tempted. His natural reaction was to go was to respond, sorry, there are people coming and going out of the room. Okay, now they've gone. Um, his natural reaction was to respond with hatred because everyone around him is just up in arms. How can they do this? This is horrible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he said, but then I remembered all these stories that I've been indexing, stories of people who faced a similar situation, who dared to trust God and overcome evil with good. And it completely changed my perspective. 
And it not only that, it allowed me to see the people that attacked us through his eyes and have them have compassion, have mercy on them and to see them with pity. Brother, this is what we're, this is the whole reason we're doing what we're doing is uh, this is the power of, of testimonies. Recently, uh, another friend pointed out to me, Revelation 12, 11. And, you know, it's a verse I've heard forever, but it just didn't apply like this. That absolutely Revelation chapter 12, the enemy is defeated. Amen. And it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Wow. So the stories that we're telling, the stories that we're living out in faith, these are the stories that that the Lord equates with the blood of the lamb as a key ingredient for defeating the enemy. Awesome. So that's, it, I, what, uh, that's what we're up for. Now, to answer your question, um, the website is called walkingtogether.life. And that's where this big reference book is that we're, uh, that we're putting together. It's all free. It's, um, it's there for the kingdom of God. Go and search the index, find stories, share them with people. You can share them on Facebook. And uh, there is a, a way that you can support us. There, there's a page that outlines um, ways to pray, ways to be involved substantially, like contributing or, or even giving. Love it. And uh, is there a, is there a way to to donate there if they want to donate to this project? I know uh, things yes. you guys have been using so much of your own resources, your own time, your own efforts, your own energy um, to do this. But if somebody wants to join you, give to this, how would they do that? Um, at the bottom of every page is a is a link that says partner together, and on that page is a. Uh, it describes all the different ways, including how to donate and what, to, uh, how you can specify what the project, what project to support. Love it. Awesome. Okay. So we have walkingtogether.life, walkingtogether.life. This is the website that you can go to learn more about what our brothers and sisters are doing together in Nigeria, together with Thane. And uh, it has been so, such an amazing time to have Longdong. Thank you for joining us. Thank Thank you for being with us, brother. This is just such a blessing. And our prayers are with you. Our prayers are with you during the time of persecution. And we pray that we will see a change in Nigeria, not through might, not through power, but through his spirit. Thank you guys so much. God bless you guys. Thanks, Eugene. Thank you, Eugene. And thank you for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless. 